If you're looking for a way to be a helper during this time, truly one of the best ways to get involved at Mental Health Association Oklahoma is to make a donation. Anything will help us continue to serve our participants during this difficult time. So visit Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Facebook page and donate on the COVID-19 Relief Fund or go to mhaok.org and hit the donate button at the top of the page. And so if we can find ways to help each other, um, not only is that helping our community, but instinctively, it also kind of helps us too. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason, and on today's episode, we have Dr. Sarah Coffey, who is, well, she's amazing, and, I, I, and I'm not kidding here. Dr. Coffey, Sarah, you are amazing. So welcome to the Mental Health Download. Thank you, Matt. And likewise, you're amazing, too. I appreciate the sentiment. I'm really pleased to be here with you guys. Awesome. All right. So just for the audience, can you just give people a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Sarah Coffey. I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist, um, as well as an adult psychiatrist. I'm the director of child psychiatry at Oklahoma State University Center for Health Sciences. And I'm also the director of clinical operations for the Department of Human Services Division of Child Welfare here in Oklahoma. That's a lot. You are very busy and you are at home right now. I am at all home this right from now. home. Yes. And I'm, I'm a mother of two small children. So I'm also playing that um, teacher um, role as well. I think where we'll start is from that human side, you as a mom, talk about how you are coping with everything in this COVID era related to how you're explaining this to your children and how you're managing your work-life balance when you are literally, there is no division there. There, you know, there's no commute. Well, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I'm hanging my hat on the most right now is that I'm not in this alone, that we're all going through this together. I feel really lucky to be able to be here with my family and so grateful for all of our communities that are out there on the frontline work for our fellow uh, mental health service providers, physicians, nurses, respiratory therapists, and for everybody that's keeping our community running. It's really something that I have to have some gratitude towards to recognize that we're all in this together. Like you said, too, though, I think um, as many of us are kind of putting on several different hats um, as parents, as daughters and sons, as teachers, as child care providers, flexibility, I think, is a bit of the name of the game in our house and making sure that perfection does not get in the way of the good. And also recognizing, too, that my role as a parent is really to model for my children um, what I'm hoping they can instill as well. Uh, it can be a stressful time. It can be a great time to be together as a family. And I'm human, as I think the rest of us are. And so certainly there can be times where we get bored or scared or sad or irritable and just doing the best that we can to come together and to support each other um, in this um, ever-changing time for yeah. sure. And so the other day you and Mike Bros had the wonderful opportunity to be a part of a Tulsa World Town Hall on mental health. So what did it mean to you to be able to be a part of such an amazing event? Yeah, again, I think, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about the, the physical and medical complications of the coronavirus. And we know that there are a lot of emotional um, complications of being sheltering in place, about the financial stressors of the economy, the kind of uncertainty of knowing what to expect next. And I'm so appreciative of the Tulsa world for highlighting the importance of us addressing this. First and foremost, having some understanding that increased stress is normal during this time is really important. 
Um, I think highlighting that we're not alone and also recognizing that there are some um, things that all of us can do together to kind of support each other. And I loved Mike's comment too about, um, you know, oftentimes there's the thought that as a mental health professional, we got this all under control and that we know what we need to do. That also we're human, right? And so to have that reminder about kind of checking in with ourselves and doing the best that we can to care for ourselves, I think is so important um, really for all of us in the community. So I, I think one of the most important things to remember in the context of kind of being with family and children's is to recognize that, that as the adult, as the caregiver um, in your family, that you are really setting the tone. Um, and, and not to put so much on us on our plate to be able to do that, but to also recognize that within your home, within your community, that, that you do have some control over how you're responding to situations. Um, and really, I think that sentiment of that you can't give from an empty cup is so important. Um, quite often as parents and as caregivers, for those of us in the, the kind of helping and healing world, we're, we're very attuned to give, give, give. This is a really a time for us to kind of to take a step back um, and to make sure that we're giving to ourselves first and to not feel guilty about that. Um, you know, I think quite often as parents, we can feel bad if we're kind of giving to ourselves first and not giving to our children. This is a time to model um, what it means to do good self-care um, and to take some time and space for yourself. Uh, I kind of mentioned, you know, taking a walk by yourself, um, taking a moment to breathe, taking a long hot bath, kind of giving yourself 30 minutes to kind of read in your bedroom uninterrupted. That's okay right now. And we can be really clear with our children that we're doing this to kind of take care of ourselves, um, that it helps, you know, mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or whomever to kind of recheck and to recharge. Um, that's setting an example for our children about what we want, hopefully, that they can do too. Um, we're all worried about ourselves and our families and our friends. But I, I know that there's also a lot of compassion going on of like people thinking about, well, what would it, what it must be like if I'm having such a hard time with my anxiety and depression, what, what is what must it be like for people who have serious mental illness? How are they receiving their very much needed treatment during this time of quarantine? You know, what what is being done? What are these innovations that are rolling out that, you know, mental health providers are uh, thinking, you know, outside the box so they can and keep that continuation of services so it's not interrupted. Yeah, I think that's a great conversation, Matt, because I, I, I think of two things here. So I, I think of the quote, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention. And in this time, there's really a lot of need. But to highlight that we're with that need, we're finding so many innovative ways to connect with each other. Right. And, and for, for Oklahoma in particular, that's a very rural state. Um, it's actually forcing us, I think, to, to think differently about the way that we're delivering care um, and to really meet patients' needs. Um, in many instances, what I'm hearing is that as um, agencies and organizations move to more telehealth options, that they're actually seeing their no-show rate um, decrease. So they're actually seeing more engagement with a lot of their consumers that um, many barriers before, whether that be transportation or funds, had a difficult time coming into the clinic. Now they're actually able to engage with their clinicians either over the phone or virtually in, a, in kind of a web-based platform through video conferencing. Um, so that's great news, right? So my hope is, is that as this necessity is really pushing us to think creatively, um, as we kind of get through this now new normal, what we might find is that we have good evidence to support other ways of engaging. And it doesn't mean that we don't have face-to-face -face conversations anymore or face-to-face -face visits, but perhaps it helps us to broaden ways that we can be in contact with each other 
um, and recognize that those can have really powerful um, results as well. So I'm, I think in many ways, there's a lot of new information and new ways of reaching each other that can be really helpful for many of our community members that maybe struggle in kind of traditional modes of care. What are the pros and cons for you for telehealth? I mean, so the pros, I think, are certainly that there's an ability to reach more people, right? Um, As we talked about, Oklahoma is a rural state. um, And so for many of our community members, having access to a licensed behavioral health provider and somebody with kind of extra expertise might be two or three hours away. So I think that connection is really there. The other thing, too, is to, to be, I guess, aware that we're technology is more and more part of our daily lives. And so there might be more of a comfort for some of our community members that that want to engage in a telehealth um, process. In many ways, it allows us to kind of meet our community where they are. Um, They might have reluctance to go into um, a mental health clinic. They might feel more comfortable at least starting that conversation over the phone or um, in a virtual type setting. And so it allows us to meet our individual um, community members where they are. There, there are still some studies that show that telehealth can be just as effective as kind of face-to-face conversations. Um, and so there, there is some evidence out there that shows that it can be helpful. On the con side, um, and this is, this is just even me personally, I, I think that we, we do miss that kind of human connection. And we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater um, and not recognize the value of that kind of personal relationship. I would say, too, for for some of our um, diagnoses and mental health, whether that be like social anxiety or other kind of issues where maybe people aren't getting out of the house and engaging and finding that purpose, um, we might not be able to kind of meet them and help help them kind of get that um, exposure and getting out of the house as much. And so there still is a lot to be learned from this. Um, and we also want to make sure that we're, we're not losing sight of the importance of a, a mental status exam. Um, as a psychiatrist, um, you know, the, a lot of the ways that I evaluate how an individual is doing um, is by having that face-to-face contact, kind of knowing how people are doing, looking at eye contact, getting their affect. And sometimes that can be missed, um, certainly over the phone or in kind of a web-based setting. And so some of the nuances that really help clinicians have a better understanding of how a person is doing might be missed a bit. And so certainly, I think it's important that we continue to evaluate and kind of assess how things are going um, and really look at how we're improving as we move forward. If I give you a magic wand and um, COVID's gone and we are back to normal, hopefully we'll get back to normal. What is your hope for that combination of face-to-face and telehealth? Yeah, I mean, so I think the most important thing for us to remember is that what is the goal? Right. And so I think for my patients that I'm seeing, I want to have kind of a patient centered approach about what does recovery look like for you? Um, What does the goal for treatment look like for you? Right. And and I would hope that we kind of move towards a meaningful goal based treatment modality. Right. So if it means, you know, for the children that I'm seeing that they're um, going to school, that they're um, engaging with their peers, that they're selling and their academics and that they want to go on to graduate from high school and what the next steps are. If we're able to meet that goal through a telehealth component, that's great. Um, If it seems like we need to have more kind of face-to-face contact in order to meet that goal, then I I want to have all the options on the table to be able to do that. And and I do think that that really includes um, looking at insurers and payers being able to provide for telehealth options. And we can't do this alone, right? 
And it really starts with a patient-centered approach to make sure that we're able to meet their needs and working together as a team to say, hey, listen, we've been trying to do this remotely, but I, I diagnostically, like I'm not quite sure what's going on here. I think it'd be helpful for you to come into the office and really having that conversation about what that would look like in order to ensure that we're um, meeting the goals of the patient and that we're able to move forward. Yeah. There is a a horrible lack in youth mental health providers, right? Especially child psychiatrists, right? Like how many, I mean, ballpark, how many do you think there are in Oklahoma? Uh, That's a good question. And I think the the important thing too, is that there might be licensed child psychiatrists, but they, they might split their time differently, whether that be inpatient or seeing adults. And so what I will say is that, you know, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry has looked at this and really across the nation and Oklahoma is no different. There's an extreme lack of child psychiatrists. So regardless of how you're split it, there's just not enough of us to, to serve the community. So, so kind of continuing with the telehealth, I mean, you and the other child psychiatrists, you can only, your caseload can only be so big. You may be able to have you know, people will be like, well, you can see 50 clients a day, you know, you never have to leave your house, but you can't do that. I mean, you have a certain amount of caseload that you can handle and that is um, ethically responsible to, to manage. And so to meet the great need of child psychiatrists, do you think we'll get to a point where if I have a child who has mental health needs that our therapist is in Portland? You know, we live in Tulsa, but ours is in Portland uh, because that person has capacity to see us right now. We don't have to wait however long it takes. I mean, that there's potential that we'll never actually meet face to face with our mental health providers in the future, um, or at least child psychiatrists that a child would never actually meet their therapists. And how would that affect that relationship? You know, I just have personal experience knowing that they have to be they have to see you almost as a, an aunt or an uncle, you know, like they have, it's that there's something with, with children that they have to bond before. Yes. No, I think you're right. And I, I'm, so I think of two things with that statement. So first you mentioned, well, you mentioned the importance of the relationship and I want to get back to that as well. But what I also think is important is to think about um, the role that, that integrated care practices play in kind of treatment of children. And to also highlight the, the importance of first-line treatment being some type of therapy component and really the majority of the, the diagnosis of mental illness with children. And the younger the child is, the more important that the parent is involved in that, in that therapy as well. And what I will also add is that um, myself, um, including several other child psychiatrists, pediatricians, and pharmacists, along with the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority, have developed um, the Oklahoma pediatric psychotropic resource guide um, to be delivered to um, really any clinician that's providing psychiatric medication care to children. Um, Because what we need to have happen too, Matt, is that we need to ensure that that children get an accurate diagnosis of what's going on and then that they get an evidence-based treatment to kind of meet that need, right? Um, What often happens is that we, we might just kind of do a blanket referral for treatment Um, And we want to make sure that we're looking at those meaningful outcomes so that children are getting better. And then we kind of use evidence-based therapies and evidence-based medication to kind of treat what ails our children with mental health disorders. Uh, As you mentioned, there's a shortage of child psychiatrists, um, and that can be, so there we have kind of our frontline primary care um, clinicians that are really doing the best that they can with the information that they have. To, to often treat symptoms of psychiatric disorders in children, and, and we can get better, I think. 
Um, but we need the resources and tools to do that. And so hopefully um, late spring, early summer, Oklahoma will have its own resource guide to give to clinicians so that they can know about the evidence-based therapies that are out there and help make more, more targeted referrals for children. And then also um, kind of make sure that if those therapies aren't working, what the next steps are for medication. So that's one piece of it is to be more strategic about the way we're giving our resources to our primary care docs that are often on the front line in treating mental health disorders um, so that it helps kind of triage which kids need to go to child psychiatrists, um, aiding in more diagnostic kind of um, assessments, kind of looking at more kids that are struggling um, to provide those medications. But the other real important piece that you talked about is this issue of a relationship, and I couldn't agree more. Kind of thinking about how you diagnose in the primary care setting um, with 5, 10, 15-minute medication checks and kind of seeing what's going on. Our primary care docs really don't have um, a lot of the time or expertise to diagnose our kids um, with psychiatric illnesses. I would love if I had an otoscope, kind of a tool to look in a child's um, ear to kind of look at their brain and say, oh, this is just typical ADHD. This is what I know what to do. Uh, that does not happen. And it, and it often takes quite some time to really develop that relationship with a child and the family to figure out what's going on, right? And so that's really where we need to, to kind of allow time for our clinicians to have a conversation with families. I couldn't agree more that re that relationship matters. What I'll also kind of say too, though, especially for older kids, um, what we find with adolescents is they they actually sometimes prefer to have this kind of video conferencing because they're more used to it. And so several clinicians have told me they've actually seen their adolescents open up a little bit more. Um, it's not so kind of in your face, like as we might see in an office. And so it's okay to be a little bit flexible and to see how the, the treatment is working. And then again, that patient-centered approach, kind of finding the best way to meet the child and family where they're at and collaborate together about the best way to understand what's going on and to kind of meet those treatment needs. So as we wrap up here, I want to give you an opportunity to point people, point parents to resources online that you would highly recommend, especially right now. Um, I'm sure you're getting a lot of these questions from family and friends and others. What would you point people to? Yeah, so that's a great, um, a great question. And I, one thing that I want to say that I think is really important um, is that, you know, in this space of social distancing, we need to be mindful that it's also a time for us to be emotionally embracing each other. Um, and that can start with our families um, in the homes, which we're kind of situated in, um, that extends to our friends and families, either through these video calls or calling them on the phone, writing letters, going back to that important piece of relationships matter here and that we're all in this together, um, I think can be very helpful. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty that's going on, but yet in that space, there's a lot of community providers that are coming together to help each other out. So making sure that we're reaching out to our family and our loved ones um, to kind of ask what they need um, can be very helpful. Um, Oklahoma, I think, um, as well, um, you know, has its own websites like Oklahoma Be a Neighbor, where you can um, ask for services or kind of ask for um, getting your needs met. But also you can let people know what you're able to give. Um, what resources that you have. And oftentimes in this space, kind of the hardest feeling to feel is this feeling of helplessness. And so if we can find ways to help each other, um, not only is that helping our community, but instinctively it also kind of helps us too. So I would encourage you to, to reach out to your family and friends um, and really look towards your community partners to see ways that you can be helpful, can be so helpful, not only for your community, but also for your own sense of self and how we're dealing with this collectively together. 
Sarah, so thank you so much for being here. Um, as we do, we close out the, the program with um, our guests giving just a little bit of wisdom, uh, does, um, whatever you want to do, and then to give our rallying cry, which our friend Mike Bros always says is go do good things. So if you want to give that wisdom and say go do good things, we'll be done. Yeah. Um, so I would say to, to use this opportunity as a time to be mindful and to take your own emotional pulse first um, as a parent and a caregiver, to have compassion for yourself and extend it to others, uh, and to recognize too that there will be a beginning, a middle, and an end to this, and we'll all get, get through this together. Um, and so as, as Matt had mentioned, um, go forth and do good things, and thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Keep up the great work. COVID-19 has impacted the people Mental Health Association Oklahoma serves every day. People impacted by mental illness, homelessness, substance use, and justice involvement. And we continue to serve the most vulnerable in our communities, but that's coming with many unexpected expenses. We have established a COVID-19 relief fund to assist us in the emergency services we are providing. Help us serve our participants in need of rental assistance, mental health care, food and shelter, and other basic necessities. Go to Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Facebook page to contribute or visit our website at mhaok.org and hit the donate button at the top of the page.